Good everyone and welcome to today's Living Life. I have a five-year-old son. Um, I talk about him a lot. Um, he's very fun. He's very cute. He's very strong-willed. And he is a very compulsive, compartmentalized eater. As in, um, I mean, he's a really picky eater to begin with, which is really difficult. But um, even with things that he likes, he will eat one thing at a time. So he loves rice, pub. Um, so, but often some, you know, there, there will be some other side issues that he loves. Just one by one, and it's never more than two maybe, he'll eat all of his, like, sukjunamul, like his bean sprout things, and then he'll eat all his eggs, and then he'll eat his rice. Sometimes with some kimchi, which is not bad, I guess, but he likes to compartmentalize everything when he eats. Uh, and just, you know, one at a time. There has to be a specific order. He cannot start eating his rice un until he finishes, you know, his his eggs or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, I, I always say, you know, tell him off about it, you know, just eat it together. It's so much yummier. And, you know, he doesn't understand that flavors, when flavors combine, it, it does something in your mouth and it's so much better. He hasn't learned that yet. Um, but this linear compartmentalized way of thinking and living is actually something that is very common to all of us. And we're going to see something about that today. So let's read the passage and then we'll continue. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verses 1 through 16. At the end of twenty years, during which Solomon built the temple of the Lord in his own palace, Solomon rebuilt the villages that Hiram had given him, and settled Israelites in them. Solomon then went to Hamath Zobah and captured it. He also built up Tadmor in the desert and all the store cities he had built in Hamath. He rebuilt Upper Beth Haron and Lower Beth Haron as fortified cities, with walls and with gates and bars, as well as Balath and all his store cities, and all the cities for his chariots and for his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the territory he ruled. There were still people left from the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These people were not Israelites. Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land, whom the Israelites had not destroyed, to serve as slave labor, as it is to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of the Israelites for his work. They were his fighting men, commanders of his captains and commanders of his chariots and charioteers. They were also King Solomon's chief officials, 250 officials supervising the men. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, My wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because the places the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. On the altar of the Lord that he had built in front of the portico, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord, according to the daily requirement for offerings commanded by Moses for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the three annual festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. 
In keeping with the ordinance of his father David, he appointed the divisions of the priests for their duties, and the Levites to lead the praise and to assist the priests according to each day's requirement. He also appointed the gatekeepers by divisions for the various gates, because this was what David, the man of God, had ordered. They did not deviate from the king's commands to the priests or to the Levites in any matter, including that of the treasuries. All Solomon's work was carried out from the day the foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid until its completion. So the temple of the Lord was finished. Second Chronicles chapter 8, as we draw to the end of the story of Solomon, um, reveals two um, glorious aspects of Solomon's reign. Uh, in chapter 8, we're going to see his power and his worship of God. And then tomorrow, in chapter 9 and then the day after, uh, we're going to see he talk about his wealth and his wisdom. Now, in our passage today, uh, we see the two aspects uh, are listed uh, separately, his power and his worship of God worship of God. Verses 1 to 11, we see, you know, just in, you know, wonderful, glorious detail, his power, prestige, the authority, and the success that he has had as a king, uh, that he's been able to um, amass everything. And then verses 11 to 16, we see um, about Solomon's worship and his odd ordinances and everything that he prepared to make sure that the worship of God runs and happens correctly. Now, Solomon could be seen as someone who is playing the game well, has played the game well, or even as someone who is just drowning in entitlement, as in he had a wonderful, rich father, or King David, who set everything up. I mean, David was preparing um, equipment, and he conquered everyone that needed to be conquered. Solomon really only conquers, I think, one city, uh, right? So, you know, as you could see him as a person of entitlement, just, you know, just born into the great life, and then everything was easy for him. But you also have to remember 2 Chronicles chapter 1, um, and then the last couple of chapters, that is that Solomon himself does have, did have a profoundly deep and intimate spirituality uh, before God that learned humility as well. So then, what do we make of today's passage, this chapter that is outlining and listing um, Solomon's accomplishments. They, it basically reads kind of like a list, right? Just all the things that he has, you know, the chariots and horses and the people and the slaves and, and so forth and so forth, right? And uh, the difficulty that we face in, in, with a passage like this is that we as humans like to think linearly, right? We like to read and link. We start from one, two, three, four. We read down the verses like a list compartmentally, kind of like my son, the way that he eats. And one of the biggest compartmentalizations that we make in our lives is the, sec uh, is the separation between our secular and our spirituality, our spiritual. The mundane and the divine, the weekdays and the weekend, the Monday and the Sunday. Where the Monday is, you go to work, you live in the world, you do your stuff, you do your things, you make your money uh, and so forth. And then the Sunday is the day of worship. And we kind of separated along that, these lines. I mean, there was even a song um, quite a few years ago now from Hillsong uh, where the f first line said, um, I say on Sunday how much I want revival, but then on Monday I can't even find my Bible, right? So we often live in these kind of 
uh, duality. And then, you know, I think it's more than a duality, it's a compartmentalization where we here, we're like this, and over here, we are like something else and someone else. So when we read today's passage, we read Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, these, this is verses 1 to 11, his power as a king, his identity as a king. And then verses 11 to 16, uh, we come to the spiritual stuff now, the Saturday and the Sunday, and then our work, our week is complete, the chapter ends. But in the Old Testament, uh, there is no distinction between the sacred and the secular. All time is God's gift to humanity. Psalm 31 uh, verse 15 says, my times are in your hands. My times, like not just the Monday, you know, Saturday, Sunday, but our entire time is in God's hand. And each season or cycle is for worship, is divinely appointed, and God has a hand upon every season and every time of our lives. Now, the overlapping, you may have noticed, the overlapping verse, verse 11, actually merges these two compartments into one, and it's kind of like a model. Verse 11 says, Solomon brought Pharaoh's wife up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her, for he said, my wife must not live in the palace of King David. Palace of David, King of Israel, because the places um, the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. Now here he is aware that his foreign wife should not be in that same holy place where the ark of God has entered and resides in. Solomon submitted his private life to the sacred, to the divine, and even his private most intimate relationship was subject to the sacred, you know, that is God. So the success of his power and, and his wealth, it all stemmed from the sacred, from the divine, from God. So as we read a passage like today's, and you know, especially today's passage, we shouldn't read it, read it linearly, nor should we read it as a list, but as a whole. Verses 11 to 16, where he talks about everything that Solomon prepared for, and he did, his efforts for worship and the ordinance of worship is as important as verses 1 to 11 that outlines his power and authority and success as a king as well. So they are not one after the other necessarily, but they are together. His success as a king was totally dependent and as important, as powerful as his worship of God and his preparation for worship of God as well. So our application today is that we need to learn how to merge our secular and the sacred spheres of our lives. That the way that we live, and it's not just about bringing different ideas together or you know, making sure that we pray before we eat, but it's the mentality of how we live, that what we consider our work, the way that we consider our work as worship, as it says in the Bible, and that when we are worshiping, who we are as a lawyer or as a doctor actually plays a part. That the, the sacred and the secular, they're not spheres of our lives, but they are, they are both us, and that we need to embrace both and apply both wherever and whenever with whatever that we are doing. So I pray that, you know, whatever you're doing right now, whatever line of work that you are in, let your sacred 
be as important and be as big of a part as your secular. And then when you are coming to church, you are a doctor here for worship. You are a cleaner there for worship. And there is power in that truth in the way and um, that, in the way that you worship as well. Yeah, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today that reminds us, Lord, that we should not be living linearly nor compartmentalized, but God, you have called the entirety of who we are, just as you created us to live to the full and to the maximum of the way that you have shaped us, Lord. So that I pray, wherever we are, whatever we do, we pray that we will live and breathe uh, and do all things for your glory and worship, Lord. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. For a single soul Reaching a further and stepping in closer See Jesus